Welcome to SLP Happy Hour. We are a podcast for SLPs with big hearts who are looking for ways to improve the lives of ourselves and the humans we work with. In this podcast, we discuss habit change, realistic things we're trying to do to make our home and work lives happier and healthier. We also share specific how-tos so you can leave feeling confident about working with your clients. We are the how-to and habit change podcast. And if you're a like-minded SLP, welcome. Let's learn together. This episode, we answer one of your most burning questions. How do we get started in speech therapy with nonverbal learners with autism? This episode is full of how-tos and practical advice to get you started. I'm Sari Wu. And I'm Sarah Lockhart. SLP Happy Hour is a podcast for caring SLPs who want more calm and less chaos in their workday. We talk tips and tricks for making work and home life easier and less stressful. We also openly discuss burnout, lesson fails, and what it's really like to be an SLP. Our goal is to empower SLPs to feel more awesome and confident and to share tips and tricks to make their SLP lives happier and more successful. This episode, we interview Rose Marie Griffin of ABA Speech. Rose is an SLP and a BCBA board-certified behavior analyst who has a TPT store, runs a blog, and has a social media presence for her company, ABA Speech, and has a physical product. Rose, you're my hero. Mine too. Yeah, <laughs> serious too. If you want to find out more about Rose, you can do so at abaspeech.org. We'll also link up to that on our website and in your podcast player. But first up, we wanted to take a quick moment to thank all of our sponsors for today's show. You made this show happen. That's right. And SLP Now is one of our sponsors. SLP Now provides you with tons of materials for your pediatric caseload at the click of a button with monthly memberships. And you can find SLP Now at slpnow.com happy. This episode is also sponsored by us. Visit our website, www.slphappyhour.com for exclusive freebies. Our freebies lately have been a winter bucket list and a quick start guide to deepening your friendships this year, something we are both working on. And you can find that at our website, slphappyhour.com. Sign up for the newsletter there, and we'll have a link in the show notes. And now on to the show. So let's get going and get Rose on the line. And now here she is. Welcome, Rose. Hi. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Rose, to start out, we do kind of a warm-up with a lightning round of questions. Does that sound okay for you? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so these are just quick answer, just the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. Okay, first up, what do you do when you are just feeling off or have a rough SLP day? Yeah, I mean, that does happen sometimes. I think what I do is I just kind of think about some of my successes that I've had with students. And I, um, I really I feel like I'm lucky. I, I'm not saying I don't have off days, but I really do enjoy interacting with the kids that I work with. And so I just kind of muscle through and think to the next client um, and, and try to, to focus on those positive moments. What's a quality that you admire in others? 
Wow. I I think patience. I think sometimes I get a little antsy or I want things to happen a little quicker. You know, I want a student to make more progress or I want, you know, um, to reach more people with ABA speech and things like that. And so I think people that are kind of patient, um, sometimes I am uh, lacking that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'm there with you. (laughs) What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? Uh, when you know when I'm feeling overwhelmed, something that really helps me and something I'm going to do later today is workout. I really love to whether it's like go to the gym. I've been doing Orange Theory Fitness or just take a walk. It kind of really just clears my mind, and I cannot think about anything else in that moment. So sometimes that's good. You are speaking my language, and actually, we <laughs> just got an Orange Theory. Sorry to get off topic. Oh, but yeah, I have been looking into it. Give it a session. It, it's good. Yeah, it's fun time. Um, so what are two words that describe your SLP style? Ooh, my SLP style, I would say analytical. I definitely analyze everything. And I would say passionate. I just, you know, I took a career test when I was a senior in high school and it said I should be a speech therapist. And I didn't even know what that was. So yeah, I observed, um, spent the day with a family friend who was an SLP and we went to all different settings. And I thought, this is just amazing. And I really do feel lucky that I really do love, um, I really do love what we do. I love our field. So I have some questions for you, Rose, but first of all, I wanted to know, will you introduce yourself to our audience and let them know a little bit about you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I am a speech language pathologist and I've been doing that for about 15 years. And I, about seven years ago, became a board certified behavior analyst. So I'm really passionate about helping all students, but really helping students with autism. And now I've had the opportunity, my company, ABA Speech, is now an ASHA approved provider. And so now I really have an opportunity to help speech language pathologists um, learn how to work more effectively with students who are hard to reach students who are nonverbal. That's really what I'm most passionate about and what I really love helping other SLPs learn more about autism and how to help students who are hard to help. Because I just feel like in my coursework, all the stuff I'm doing in my daily work, I did not learn in graduate school. I just learned out here in the field, you know, so I love being able to help on that level. Yeah. And it's so important because I think about how frustrating it must be for both emerging communicators, but also it's frustrating as the SLP wanting to see more progress, wanting progress to go quicker, and really doubting that you know how to help or what to do or where to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Professionally or personally, what's a project you're working on right now? Um, So I'm working on developing and providing, you know, in-depth information, webinars for therapists on how to work effectively with students with autism. I'm really excited. Soon we're launching a five-hour course called Help Me Find My Voice that's ASHA approved. And it's something that I'm super passionate about because like you said, um, and I think you actually said, you know, um, when you were in the course that you may only have a couple kids who have these severe intense needs, but those kids may take up a lot of your brain power because Mm -hmm. you're constantly thinking, am I doing enough for this student? These strategies I'm using are not exactly working. You know, where do I go from here? And so I really want people to feel that by taking this course, they can transform their therapy. So when they meet somebody who's nonverbal, instead of being overwhelmed and feeling challenged, they think, okay, this is where I'm going to start. This is a good starting point. Because I just think that, you know, oftentimes we may go to like a one hour course or we may hear something really dynamic at ASHA, but to follow up and apply those strategies to your own caseload, it's just so hard to transfer that, those skills. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I we heartily agree. You can't see us right now, but we're just like nodding, <laughs> we're nodding like crazy. <laughs> like, like yeah. little, what are those little doggies you we're like touch heads. their head? And yes, we are bobbleheads. So we're being bobbleheads. Yes. We're yes. Uh, what's what's a big goal you're working on right now? Uh, so one of my big goals is more probably from a business sense is batching projects. So instead of, or even this works for school-based therapy, you know, instead of, um, you know, going from writing an IEP to doing a progress report to taking a phone call, trying to, I know it's hard within the confines of our daily schedule, but trying to say, okay, in this hour, I'm not doing emails and progress reports and talking to people. I'm just doing progress reports and I'm blocking everything else out. So I've been trying to do that for ABA speech, like, okay, I'm just going to work on this webinar right now. That's all I'm doing. I'm not, you know, getting on Instagram and doing a story and all those different things that I really love to do. Um, but trying to just be really focused and zeroed in on one task at a time. Mm-hmm. And what's a, uh, we're focusing on, we're, we're super into batching. We are batching today. And yes. Um, so I'm a huge lover of everything batching. Yes. Uh, so what's a goal or a habit that you want to develop since we are focused on habit change this season? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Okay, so that's your focus. That's awesome. So my habit change is really trying to get my family to eat a bit healthier. I, I'm i pretty healthy, but, you know, I have three kids, eight, five, and three, and I'll make like a nice meal, and then they don't eat it, and then they want Lucky Charms or Captain Crunch <laughs> or something terrible. So I actually just did that today. I made my grocery list. I planned ahead. Like I'm trying to, uh, quote, unquote, meal prep kind of loosely um, for the week. And I feel like when you're more organize that uh, you have control of the week. The week doesn't have control of you. Mm-hmm. It's like going into a war zone when you have kids and you're working and, you know, so I'm trying to be more organized in that sense. Yeah. Meal prep is one of my huge goals for this. Yes. Um, so we hope that helped you get to know Rose a bit more. Coming up, Rose shares her expertise and helps us problem solve working with students with short attention spans, refusals, who might or who might wander the room or all of the above. Uh, those are all things that I see on a regular basis. And to be honest, still wonder if I'm handling well. So I'm about to find out if I'm doing it right or not. All that and more is coming up. But first up, an ad break. Everyday Speech is sponsoring this episode. Everyday Speech provides a huge online library of social skills materials, including social skills videos, interactive web games, and hundreds of printable activity packets. Everyday Speech has materials for working on conversation skills, problem solving, self-regulation, and even more skills that our kiddos work with on a daily basis. With a huge library of materials and new materials being added every month, there's something for everyone. The best part is all their materials are no prep, so you've got hundreds of instant lessons ready to go. All you have to do is press play. With their advanced searching and filtering, all it takes is a couple of clicks to find the perfect material for your next session. You can get a no-obligation 30-day free trial so you can try it out and see if it's a fit. And listeners get 10% off their first year by visiting everydayspeech.com happy. That's everydayspeech.com slash happy for a 30-day free trial and 10% off your first year. Running your own practice has its share of challenges and there never seems like there's enough time to get everything done that needs to be done. Administrative tasks are necessary, but so time-consuming. Imagine streamlining that admin work. 
that can take up so much of your time every day. With simple practice, you can automate client reminders to help your clients avoid missing appointments, set up auto pay and easily file insurance claims. Perfect for pediatrics and adults, simple practice lets you access all of your information in one place, saving you time. Simple Practice is mobile-friendly and works with any laptop or tablet. The mobile app makes seeing clients and documenting sessions seamless and easy, and their secure client portal gives your clients the ability to complete intake forms, view invoices, and make payments completely paperless, saving them time. Haven't you been waiting for something like this long enough? Visit paperlessslp.com and get started today with a 30-day free trial and run your practice the simple way. Simple practice for SLPs, it's about time. As SLPs, we know that reading research articles is time consuming. One thing that's helped me is my membership to the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP is an advertiser on this podcast, but I pay for my own membership because it's so helpful. Let the Informed SLP help you by doing the research for you. They search all the top SLP journals every month looking for articles that are highly relevant to your daily practice, and they provide you with plain language summaries of the most clinically applicable research. It's how smart SLPs do EBP. You can join by going to theinformedslp.com and you'll get 50% off your first three months with the code SLPHAPPYHOUR. And we're back with our interview with Rose from APA Speech. And um, Sari's got a question to get us started. I do. So I have some students who are nonverbal with ASD and are school-aged. And when I meet these kiddos, I honestly get so excited to work with them because it is so completely rewarding to see someone start to communicate. And it seems like for a lot of my kids, it's for the first time. And sometimes it can be hard for me to figure out where to start, or sometimes it's where to go next with these students once they start getting something. And that's why... I, but we're both so excited to have you, Rose, here so that we can pepper you with questions. (laughs) So what do you do to support these kiddos with their communication? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, having students who are nonverbal and have autism, it's so hard to know where to start. And I think what's so important is to really figure out what our students really love, what are their very favorite things. And I think that's something I do when I first start working with a student is I always try to just pair myself, my therapy room, if you're taking them to a therapy room or therapy office, and my materials with reinforcement. So I try to just have them, I try to coexist in this space with them, you know, give them lots of things that I could potentially they might enjoy and just kind of observe. I think we as speech therapists, it's hard for us to do that because we're always thinking about how can I make this moment language enriched? How can I make this a teachable moment? But what we really need to do is think about building a therapeutic rapport with students like this. And we need to think about that very first session, at least giving them lots of things that they might potentially like, and then just having them play with it. We play with it too, almost like a parallel playing kind of thing, if they will even mm-hmm. allow that. Um, and then just analyzing and observing and noting, okay, what things do they really enjoy? Those things are going to be really important when we start to work on formally, uh, you know, trying to get them to develop a way to communicate with the world. But also decreasing demands. I think 
think a lot of what I was taught in grad school and what I did early in my career was, you know, I needed data, I needed progress. And it was right. sort of like demand, 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 which brings us into, we are sharing today the four biggest myths about working with learners with autism. And so let's get started. The first is, and this is something that I was certainly taught both uh, in grad school and as an early career SLP, which is control your materials. So but right. what that looks like in practice is it seems like you're taking things away from kids and they're getting frustrated. So will you speak a little to that, Rose? Oh, yes. That's, yeah. So we have this idea of be a giver, not a taker. So the idea is, okay, we build a therapeutic rapport with the student. We find out things they really love. Let's say the student is nonverbal and we want to start working on requesting specific things that they really love. Let's say the student loves bubbles. Well, that's great because I can blow some bubbles and then the student pops them, they go away, and then the student's automatically motivated to request those bubbles again. So I didn't have to take the bubbles away. They just kind of go away on their own. That's like the perfect uh, gold standard kind of reinforcement. Or if a student wants juice, maybe we give them a cup. I pour a little juice. The student drinks the juice. The juice is gone. The student's motivated to request that juice again. I'm not having to take things away. This is where we get into um, a student being upset because we don't want to take from the student. And I think that's hard because we as SLPs think, oh, I want to get, just like you talked about data, I want to get in lots of opportunities to request. I want to get in lots of opportunities to practice language. But we also don't want to, you know, cause behavior problems because the students that we're working with can't really tell us like, hey, don't touch my puzzle. I wasn't done with that. You know what I mean? They're just going to maybe fall on the ground or like throw a piece of the puzzle, something like that. So the idea is to be a giver, not a taker. And what I've really done, you know, over the past 15 years is I love this idea of rotating re a a rotating array of reinforcement. So if I find out that my student loves bubbles, puzzles that taught, you know, have the the animal sounds and the iPad, maybe I put those into a little rotation. So, you know, they, we do the bubbles and then I present the puzzle. Oh, they want the puzzle. Okay. We can request the different pieces. Now the puzzle's done and the student sees the iPad. Now I kind of clear away one thing and present something different. So that's kind of the idea because if we don't stick with that, then we can really kind of cause some problem behavior because our students are so delayed in their communication Mm -hmm. that they can't just tell us like, hey, please don't touch that. (laughs) And I love the idea of what you're saying is rotating reinforcers because very much what I was taught is hold everything, give them one thing, and then it gets taken away and they have to request again. Yeah. And and you you don't want to be seen as the person who takes things away either. You want to have kids who eventually you've taken time to build that therapeutic rapport and you want them to like run to your therapy room. That's not going to happen overnight, but you want them to say like, hey, this lady or this man gets me. They understand Um, And they're not going to take things away. I mean, eventually you have to fade in some more demands. But in the beginning, you just want them to see like, okay, if I say puzzle, I get puzzle. Or if I sign bubbles, I get bubbles. Mm -hmm. And you want to really get on that kind of level and have a relationship with the student first. Yeah, two things. One is you want to be the place where the fun stuff happens. That is exactly. Key. And then yes. secondly, a mentor once told me you have to woo your clients. And I think yes. especially early learners with autism, there's no population I can think of where that is more true. Yes, that's a great. It's just, yes, another way of just saying therapeutic rapport. But yeah, you want to woo them. You want to be the lady. You want to be the person who has the bubbles, the puzzle and all that amazing stuff. That's who you have to be for sure. And that ties a little bit into the next myth, which is to always have structure and a visual schedule, which 
I try to with a lot of my school age students because we're working so much on ready to learn skills. But for er, super duper early learners who don't understand it, it's really more about flexibility and following their lead, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I think visuals have a time and a place. If the student has trouble with transition or, you know, they really, you feel benefit from a schedule, that's something you can definitely, it all goes back to, you know, are we analyzing what's going on in the schedule? Does the student have trouble going from one thing to the next? If they do, then they might need a visual schedule. But for other students, we talk about, you you know, working with fluency. So can a student do these skills and go from, you know, something that's mastered to something that's new to requesting to a break that really makes a more dynamic, flexible learner. And that's really what we want for our students. If they mm-hmm. need a schedule, that's great. And we're going to pr- provide it. But we want to always be thinking, can we fade that schedule? Um, is it necessary? Now, I work with middle school and high school students, so they may have like a planner just like other kids do. So we all have, you know, I had it on my schedule today. We're going to meet at this time. Like we all have different things and constructs that help us get through the day. And we just really need to analyze for each student. Is this something they need or is, is your schedule almost a barrier to the flow of your instruction? Cause mm-hmm. that can be the case as well. Right. And I like, uh, that's really important too, to think about down the road, bigger picture. This kids can't always have a visual schedule. Your goal is to wean them off it. Yeah, exactly. Older, what's more appropriate, like a planner or calendar. Mm-hmm. Or- whatever it is, or could they just use what the teacher writes on the board at some point? Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And then another myth we have is that once you introduce a method of communication like pictures or a high-tech AAC device or this start to gesture, um, that you'll always see fast responses and progress, but also that you'll see this like linear progress, like step one, step two, step three. Uh, And that's not necessarily true, is it, Rose? No, that's definitely not necessarily true. And I mean, I wish that it was, but we always have to go back to, you know, have we built a relationship with the student? Have we found out what they really love? Uh, Because I think what we miss the mark on just as a field is that a lot of the times that our our assessments don't always look at can a student request. And that's really just how we start communicating. I have three kids of my own under the age of nine, and they're just constantly requesting. And, you know, they're requesting for very specific items, their favorite items. Can you turn on Paw Patrol? I need milk. Can you get me, you know, uh, my, my baseball, things like that. So we, I think sometimes we're not always working on the correct targets. We need to make sure that we're working on things the student really loves. And then, you know, know, it all goes back to data too. Like we talked about, you have to really analyze the data. Is the student making progress? And if they're not, we need to modify our interventions so that they will. You know, I wrote an article for Perspectives through ASHA last year, and it was all about collaboration. And it was about a student who I met in sixth grade. He lived in another country. And I thought, okay, this student's nonverbal. He has severe autism. We're going to use Proloquo. And he just, the student couldn't point. We had to shape a point with the OT. And, you know, it wasn't going anywhere. So then we started working on sign language and, and verbalizations. And now the student is is able to request. The student verbalizes. And um, it's been a joy. But you really have to analyze that data you're taking to help the student. Okay, so our next myth is uh, that echolalia is a maladaptive behavior and should be ignored or extinguished. 
Is that true, Rose? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, that's a biggie. I know I sound like a broken record, but everything is very individualized. So for some students, echolalia might be, you might be able to shape that into something more functional. Maybe a student heard something on a show and every time they see somebody, they say the same thing. You know, other times echolalia might serve some type of you know, automatic reinforcement. So a student may be scripting. You might have heard that word before. They may be saying some things they hear over and over again because for some reason it's reinforcing to the student. So you really have to have analyze how the student is using that echolalia, you know, and sometimes what we use in in the behavioral world or just special education is called ABC data. So it's antecedent behavior consequence. And sometimes we analyze what is the antecedent? So what happened right before? Um, what is the behavior? What does that echolalia look like? And then what is the consequence? Did somebody respond to it? Is a student just sitting in a corner saying things over and over again that they've heard before? And so it really has to be treated differently based on how it's presented. Um, by the student. Yeah. And with echolalia, another thing that I've learned kind of recently from seeing it is sometimes a student, you know, sometimes it's processing, right? Sometimes it's just a verbal stimulation. Uh, But sometimes it's that a a learner may understand that uh, a response is required, but they don't know what it is, right? Yes, right. So, so to say, to hear a lot of these myths that it's not purposeful is just, you know, I kind of want to bring down the hammer on that one and be like, no, right. no, no, no. Um, <laughs> what do you think are some things that SLPs are already getting right when it comes to working with this population? Because, you know, I've already shared, I've done tons of things wrong in my career. So what are two things you'd encourage them to do right away after they listen to this? So like action items to improve their sessions for the learners who are early communicators. Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely after listening to this, maybe think about one or two students that you have on your caseload that may need some more intense intervention, or maybe students who are not making the progress that you would um, had hoped that they would be making, and maybe students that are kind of feeling discouraged or hesitant to come to therapy, because I think we all have those students. I mean, I do too. And think about, could you do some of these things? Could you kind of repair with the student? Could you just have a session where you're not putting a lot of demands on the student? You're kind of finding out what types of uh, potential reinforcers that they enjoy. And then going back and thinking, you know, are we stuck on some targets? Is the student really, are they spontaneously communicating? And if they're not, do I know what their favorite things are? And can I directly teach them to request for those very favorite things? Because that's really what helps us show a learner, okay, I do something, I get something. I sign bubbles, Mm -hmm. I get bubbles. I say movie, I get movie. I say book, I get book. Because in the beginning, that's how it is. And that's all that we focus on. Because it's almost like that requesting, you may hear it called manding as well, is almost a gateway to working on all the different things like, you know, uh, verbal imitation and labeling and following one-step directions. If we don't have that manding, if we don't have that spontaneous requesting, it's hard to get into any of the other ways that we communicate. Right. And it's almost like action, reaction, action, reaction. And another thing I heard from a really excellent mentor about autism was that um, at the beginning, you may just be responding. So instead of me doing, you know, the style I learned, which was very like, take, 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 demand, demand, demand. Uh, right. It's it's very much like, what are they doing? Are they responding? Can we take turns? Is there an action and a reaction? Can we go back, back and forth in that dance? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, exactly. It definitely is a dance and it it is not going to be perfect at first. But if you think about those things and this analyzing your session too and going back to, am I, am I being a taker? Is that why somebody just flailed on the ground is, you know, have I taken time to pair my materials, reinforce, reinforcers myself with, you know, fun things? Am I wooing this client? Like you said, because if we don't start there and, you know, really, I know we need to take data. Obviously I love data, but we could just put on the data sheet, like I am taking time to pair with this student. I, I showed them these different potential reinforcers and they either liked them or they didn't. And I'm going to use that in sessions to motivate them when we're working on harder targets. Yeah. And if we're thinking of, you know, the visual of the dancing is, is, uh, not one I've used before, but it's so powerful because I'm thinking, you know, if I'm dancing with a partner and I'm taking a step ahead, a step ahead, a step ahead, a step ahead, I'm pushing them. <laughs> We're not dancing. Right. So right. co-creating a space, co-creating yes. activity, co-creating play is so important right. instead of I'm in charge, you do. I'm in charge, you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You you want the student to enjoy. And that's not going to be every student. We always are going to have those kids that are just not having it. But I mean, you do the way that you're thinking about it is right. You know, these students are not going to be like the students that are probably the bulk of your caseload. It's going to be different. I mean, I worked with a student. I sat across from him for 60 minutes for like a couple months and he had no way to communicate, did not like anything that I presented for reinforcement. Um, and it's different. These kids are going to make you think, way outside of the box. They're going to make you think about things that we did not talk about in graduate school, at least for me. And I went to a great graduate school, but it's things that you really have to, um, to, you know, access professional development and things like you guys are doing. So Rose, will you share with me uh, what you might do in your first three sessions with an early learner, including maybe three of your favorite toys? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, of course. So definitely pair myself the environment materials with reinforcement. This is a place to have fun. I just want to present the student with things they might potentially like. And then I just note, does the student like this? Does the student like this? And that's going to be important going forward when I'm placing more demands. Um, definitely in the first three sessions, or at least definitely the first one, I try to place not a lot of demands. Don't, you know, make do not make the student label all the pieces in the puzzle unless you think the student really loves that. You know, if the student loves to sing the ABCs, then go for it. But, you know, don't try to get them to label and follow directions and all those different things to make it language enriched. We really just need that first session to say, okay, like you said, this is my space and we're in it together and I want to see what you enjoy and I'm the person that's the giver of good things. <laughs> um, and then, you know, slowly fade in demands for communication. You're going to do your assessment slowly. You're going to find out what you need to work on. And if the student's nonverbal, we need to work on finding out what they love and finding a way that they can communicate that to people in their environment. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rose. So every interview we ask uh, for a self-care challenge, and it's something that you are challenging our listeners to do to improve their work or home life. And it's completely open-ended and can be anything that you want. Rose, do you have a self-care challenge you'd like to share? 
I do. I, the self-care challenge I would give to your listeners is to identify one thing that you want to improve and make a plan and try to improve that one area. I think that we get bogged down by all the different pieces and parts of our life that we want to improve. And then we're scattering ourselves too thin. It kind of goes back to that idea of batching. So, you know, ask yourself what's most important for you and how can you make a plan and slowly goal set to improve that? So, you know, I choose organization at home this year and meal plan for my family. And so I'm slowly trying to implement lasting, uh, you know, behavioral changes that are going to help my my household run more smoothly, I hope. <laughs> and I appreciate that it's focused into those single areas that makes it very right. doable. <laughs> yes. Um, Rose, have you read the book called The One Thing? No, I haven't read that. Okay. Is that good? That sounds very much. <laughs> my friend just recommended it to me, so I started reading it oh. last night. So this sounds yeah. very much along the lines of what you're talking about. And <laughs> okay, like cool. an example is, you know, if you have a business, you probably can't be on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and have an awesome newsletter. Right. You kind of have to yeah. pick your battles and make a choice and just pick one thing. And it's a it's a way I love that it's it's totally a self-care challenge because you're being kinder to yourself. Um, yes. So Rose, before we say goodbye, um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or where can our listeners find you? Yeah, I hope the listeners enjoyed the show. I loved being on. I did want to let everybody know that we are coming out with a five-hour ASHA-approved course called Help Me Find My Voice. It is all about working with students who are nonverbal, students who are struggling, those students who don't play with the toys that you have in your therapy room, those students who go from task to task. And we talk all about assessment, problem behavior, where to start. Um, there's a private Facebook group that you can join because I really want to help people by being a mentor and a coach coach when you're applying this information to your students. So I hope that you can check that out. It's at www.abaspeech.org. Two questions. What's the name of the Facebook group? So the Facebook group, once you join the course, is called Help Me Find My Voice okay. Founders. Okay. So you get access to it once you join the course. Yeah. And when do you expect the course to come out? It actually is out January 2019. Oh, so boy. if you're listening to this now... Um, yeah. And if you have any questions, contact me through the website. Okay. Love to have you in the course. Thank you, Rose. Thanks so much for having me, guys.